Welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. I'm TJ Daw, and this season my co-host Mario Sikora and I will be exploring the Enneagram through the lens of specific directors whose work demonstrates themes related to the nine Enneagram types and three instinctual biases. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. I'm Mario Sakura. As always, I'm here with my co-host, TJ Dahl. How are you, TJ? Very well. How are you, Mario? Doing great. We're going to talk about Enneagram Type 3 and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, before I get into why we chose Reese Witherspoon and how it's a little bit out of pattern with what we've been talking about this season, I want to talk about what I'm really excited about, and that is the triumphant return of Maria Jose Monita, who is back with us. Uh, Maria Jose is a co-founder of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast and was one of the co-hosts on season one. Maria Jose, it's great to have you back. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Hi, Maria. Hi, TJ. It's nice to have you here as well. And I'm very excited to be joining you today in this podcast. It's the last of the season and it's a woman. And I was looking forward to that. I was really interested in having women in this series as well. So really glad to be here. Yeah, great. Thanks. So uh, we, we should talk about that for a minute because the podcast, the theme of this season has been directors. And we're taking a little bit of a twist on this because we're talking about Reese Witherspoon. Uh, she's not a director that I'm aware of. I don't know that she's directed anything, but she is a producer as well as an actor and very interesting in that regard. Now, um, TJ and I, you know, as we were talking about the directors we wanted to cover, talked about a lot of women directors because we did want to get uh, a women's a woman's point of view into the season. But we just didn't feel like there was a woman director whose work we were familiar in enough with that uh, demonstrated a specific Enneagram type theme. So um, we're going to go back and I hope in a future season highlight uh, some of the great women directors that are out there. And it was Maria Jose that came up with the idea of focusing on Reese Witherspoon. Maria Jose, why don't you tell us why you came up with that idea? I think what caught my attention initially about her was a an interview she gave, or it was a speech actually on Glamour, kind of Women of the Year uh, ceremony. She got that award that year. I think it was like 19, uh, 2015 or somewhere around that. And she was talking about how the uh, movie industry was very focused on men and women didn't get interesting parts. And especially the roles that women get got were like, oh, what do we do now? And turning to the man, asking for help and for direction. And she said, have you ever seen uh, a <laughs> crisis where women, a woman would say, hi, hey, what do we do now? Women are usually the, the ones who know what to do, you know? And she wanted women to be portrayed in a more realistic way. And that caught my attention, to be honest. And it's not because it's a feminist thing, and I want to be clear about that. I think it's just a more realistic way of portraying women in movies, which are supposed to show reality on the big screen. 
So that caught my attention. And she told the story about how first she was a, a, um, an actress and did a lot of movies. And when she got frustrated with the kind of roles that she was getting, she tried to knock on different doors of different uh, studios and didn't get an interest in having movies that showed women in a different light. So she decided to do her own thing and read lots of books or manuscripts until she found two that were showing women in a different way. And now, long story short, in those two movies, I think there were three nominations for Academy Awards and there were big hits. She made a lot of money despite all the people who were telling her that she would not make it work. She was not going to be able to pull it off. So she talks in this interview and this last thing about ambition and ambition as not as a dirty word, but kind of believing in yourself and your abilities and going after it and with a purpose, with a sense of purpose of trying to do this. I think that that's very threeish as well. So there's something about the characters that are Three in different ways, the ones that she represents and the ones that she has in the, in the movies that she produces, and about her, that I think it's very three-ish. Uh, TJ, is there anything you would add to that about why you think Reese Witherspoon is a good, good person to focus on? Yeah, the fact that she expanded from being an actor to an actor-producer is a pattern that I've noticed in other threes. And if I had done my homework, I could have come up with a long list of examples of that. But the one that's prominently on my mind is the singer Sam Cooke, who went from being simply a recording artist to being a producer. And it's something that I've noticed in the world of performing arts is it's not unusual for a three to make that leap so that they're not simply the vehicle for somebody else's work. They have a controlling interest in what gets chosen, how it's made, how it's distributed, and then seeing some of the money from that. So I think she's a shining example of that, and she's doing very well at it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. So it was preparing for this podcast, uh, did a little bit of research, watched some interviews, and it's it's hard to imagine her being anything other than an Enneagram type three. I mean, she's just a a real powerhouse. And it was this kind of attitude of, well, you know what? I'm not getting the roles I want, so I'm just going to start my own company and I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, she not only has the business, uh, you know, the, the movie production, company but she's got clothing lines and you know all different sorts of things she's quite an entrepreneur and then watching again watching her in interviews with other people the threeness just exudes right i mean it's you know in in very positive admirable ways and sometimes in ways that you know, for me, it was like, okay, she's clearly performing here, right? She, you know, in the interviews she's doing, she's clearly, you know, playing her role uh, in, in a very clear way. Now, that said, I, I don't want to criticize her because I have huge respect for what she has accomplished. I think she's an outstanding actress. Uh, I first noticed her in Election, which we're going to talk about uh, as one of our movies, and just remember thinking, this woman is really good, right? She has real talent and uh, she has gone on to display that. In one of the interviews, she was sharing how she was not getting any roles in movies that she wanted. And the guy in charge of it at the studio said, she's Tracy Flick. 
you know, and they didn't want uh, her because she was too much like the character. Yes, which is, is about as three-ish a character as you'll ever find, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing, in I'll say in fairness to Hollywood, she, you know, uh, she had some early success, and then she had a string of movies that didn't do well. Right. And so she was kind of viewed as a kind of lightweight romantic comedy actress who wasn't performing at the box office anymore. And that's when she said, "Okay, if I really want my career to take off, I have to take control of it. And uh, to my knowledge, the first book that she found that she wanted to turn into um, a movie was Wild, uh, another one of the movies that we're going to talk about. She also has a book club, by the way, uh, kind of taking a page from Oprah Winfrey that has been uh, hugely influential in selling books, uh, which is nice to see. All right. So let me talk a little bit about uh, Reese Witherspoon, who she is. I gave a quick biography. Her name is Laura Jean Reese Witherspoon, born March 22nd, 1976, a recipient, recipient of various accolades, it says in Wikipedia, which is really true because she has a long list of awards, including things that caught my attention in addition to an Academy Award and Emmy Awards. She was uh, one of, she's one of the highest paid actresses in the world. Time Magazine named her as one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2006 and 2015. And Forbes listed her among the world's 100 most powerful women in 2019. That's not inconsiderable. And I was watching an interview, I think it was with Jimmy Fallon, and he showed a picture of one of these lists. And her, her picture was right under Queen Elizabeth's, you know. So uh, she's, she's up there in some high company, well-deserved. Born in New Orleans, Louisiana, raised in Nashville, Tennessee, began her career as a teenager, making her screen debut in The Man in the Moon, the great movie about Andy Kaufman with Jim Carrey. Just to throw the different man on the moon. Oh, it is a different man on the moon. Oh, right, right, different right, right. At the same Thank time. you. Thank you for correcting me with that because I, I didn't remember her in that movie. And uh, okay, there you go. Uh, following a leading role in Fear in 1996, her breakthrough came in 1999 with a supporting role in Cruel Intentions and her portrayal of Tracy Flick in the black comedy Election. Her career really took off a couple of years later with Legally Blonde, which I think now is a play or a musical or something. I mean, that has gone Hugely successful Broadway musical. Yeah, okay, go figure. Uh, you know, a great movie, I guess. Um, you know, not one of my favorites. Anyway, let me let me lose that. She really, I think, hit her artistic peak uh, playing June Carter Cash in the movie Walk the Line about Johnny Cash, which she won the Best Actress Award for, the Academy Award. Then starred in several critically and commercially unsuccessful comedies. Uh, again, this started the downward trend in her career, but she made a comeback playing Cheryl Strayed in the drama Wild, which is based on Cheryl Strayed's real-life experiences. So it's a, a inspired-by-real-life kind of story. Uh, has gone on to produce a number of cable television series, including HBO's Big Little Lies, Apple TV's The Morning Show, and Hulu miniseries Little Fires Everywhere, uh, all of which I believe she has uh, roles in as well. Let's see here. What else? Owns a clothing company called Draper James, actively involved in children's and women's advocacy organizations, serves on the board of the Children's Defense Fund, and was named Global Ambassador of Avon Products 
serving as honorary chair of the charitable Avon Foundation dedicated to women's causes. In 2000, she co-founded production company Type A Films, uh, which has since merged with Hello Sunshine, a media firm which she wither- she also co-founded in 2016 to focus on female-led stories. An impressive resume. Uh, what else about uh, Reese Witherspoon did I forget to mention? I think that's a good overview of her. I mean, we'll we'll bring up more things when we're discussing why, even more specifically, we think she's a three. Because I got a few things yeah. just waiting for their turn to come out. But as far as like basic facts about her career, yeah, I can't think of anything that you didn't mention. I even had to say I was watching some video and she was being interviewed as she had just made this gingerbread house right with her kids and it was the most beautiful elaborate majestic gingerbread house i've ever seen you know so here it is and in addition to doing all these things she spends finds enough time to to make this gingerbread mansion uh, with her family so she's quite impressive so we're gonna do four movies go ahead Mario. do you want to talk about her subtype let's hold on to that because that's that's interesting. I have some theories, and I'm happy to discuss that, okay? Uh, because I think, well, I think we want to discuss the subtypes of the characters in the movies as well. And uh, because I think I saw a theme there, but I'll be curious to see what you guys came up with. So we're going to talk about four movies. Uh, Legally Blonde from, uh, let's see, 2001. Election from 1999. Gone Girl, which she does not star in, but produced, uh, which was from 2014, and then Wild, which she did star in and also produced, uh, also 2014. Wow, they both came out in the same year. That's interesting. I hadn't realized that. TJ, start off telling us what a type three is before we get going. Right. Type three, striving to feel outstanding. So threes at an average level, kind of the general portrait of the three. A three is efficient and proficient and very aware of how they're being perceived. They're adaptable, task-oriented, goal-oriented. They're driven to achieve in whatever field they've deemed important. They're motivated to achieve external measures of success within that field. So prizes, certificates, medals, lead roles, personal and career milestones, salaries at a certain dollar value, that kind of thing. And you will find threes in every single field there is. Threes are often presented, or at least hearing these things, it's easy to picture threes climbing the corporate ladder or in the media and the world of entertainment, which that's Reese Witherspoon. But you will also find threes working in finance, in medicine, in trades, education, clergy. You'll have threes who are homemakers or tattoo artists or criminals or scientists or politicians, anywhere and everywhere that a three has They'll be in a field and they'll, they'll find, how can I achieve within this field and how can I be the ultimate version of the person who is considered valuable in this field? A three who is going down the levels, who's stressed or chronically stressed, will come off as cold. They'll have a real competitive streak. Uh, they're inclined to perhaps deceive, cut corners, cheat, whatever it takes to win. The less healthy they are, the emptier they are inside. They'll be out of touch with their feelings and with their actual heart's desire and still working double time to achieve goals that don't fulfill them and don't necessarily align with their own beliefs and deceiving themselves even about that and turning themselves into machines, basically empty success machines. If a three is doing their work and is being supported and is looking into what makes them tick, working on themselves, 
they will get in tune with their feelings. They'll get in tune with what really matters to them. They'll realign their lives with these things in mind. A healthy three is warm, charismatic. They're a team player deriving more satisfaction from what might seem like a less prestigious endeavor than for their accomplishments before. They appreciate praise, but they don't need it. And they know that their value doesn't depend on what they do. They have a sense of inherent value that is just there no matter what. Great. Maria Jose, what else would you say about threes? I would only highlight, um, because it was a very uh, complete um, description of the three, but uh, what I think we will see here is that the less kind of adaptive the three, the more superficial or false it feels or it looks. And then the more adaptive version of it becomes more aligned with their own purpose and and that makes all the same kind of all the doing more real and authentic and easier to believe and inspiring. So I think that there's this progression that you kind of see in the movies, which is interesting. And uh, so for me, the, the, the one final point I would say is that deep down inside, the core issue for the three is around value, right? Feeling like they've lost contact with their inherent value and trying to make up for that. Uh, value, as we think of it as one of the core qualities in our approach, is inherent worth independent of accomplishment. And because threes lose contact with this feeling of, uh, or th this the development of value gets stunted in their childhood, they start to turn to outside accomplishment to make them feel worthwhile, to make them feel valuable. And it never quite feels satisfying, right? No matter how much they do, it never feels like enough if they don't start to realize that, you know what, it's not in my accomplishments, but it's finding that I am inherently valuable and my accomplishments are just gravy. So, but I don't need that to make me feel like who I am. And I think we see a wide range of three threeness in these movies, right? And we see what I th would argue is a pretty healthy version of type three in Legally Blonde, down to some pretty now, shall we say not so healthy versions of the three in, say, for example, Gone Girl. Okay, um, so we, you know, we, I, I think a, a psychopathic serial killer sort of qualifies as, uh, you know, not very healthy three. Um, but sure, can get any worse. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, um, so it's an interesting character study. The other thing is uh, the the subtypes. So we didn't talk about the subtypes yet. The versions of the three are really different. The preserve three is somebody who's highly task oriented, highly productive, and doesn't isn't as focused on their um, presentation, right? They want to look good, but that's not what really drives them, right? Being productive is what drives them. They're not as visibly three-ish. Okay? The navigating three is more about identity. Right? I'm outstanding based on what my identity is, my reputation, how I'm perceived by others. Whereas the transmitting three is more identified with how they are seen, right? It's kind of this, there's this feminine or masculine ideal that they tend to embody and they tend to be more interested in standing out in a very obvious way. 
So those are the three subtypes, and I'm sure we'll come back to that conversation. I also want to put onto the table that we're dealing, uh, we have with us today three variations on American here. Right. So uh, I am from the United States of America. Uh, TJ is from our neighboring North American country of Canada. And Maria Jose is from a South American country of Chile. Okay. For shorthand, I am going to talk about the United States as America. And I'll ask both of your forgiveness as I do that. It's just an easier uh, linguistic sort of thing. But I would say that the United States of America has a very three-ish culture. And this character, these characters, I would say, are classically American in that sense. Feedback on that from the two of you or comments on that as... Uh, how, as how three all, all, America is? Uh, well, how three really? the United States is, if, if, if you see that. I totally see that. And, and we've talked about this several times, yeah. but I think that there's a very natural tendency to present yourselves and uh, sell yourselves. And, and I can see that when, for example, you and I, Mario, are both navigators, but you have a much easier time saying, call me now. How awesome I am. Yeah. <laughs> How awesome you are <laughs> than I have. To me, it's kind of embarrassing to ask for attention. You know, it's a, something, it's kind of wrong. Uh, you know, it's just wrong to be shameless about that. And, but, but I think it has to do with the culture. So there's something about that and about knowing how to present things, how to package things. And we all want to go and buy stuff at the, at the States because you just sell lots of things and you know how to attract attention and what works, what doesn't. And it's also the kind of competitiveness and individualism of the culture there and how everyone can make whatever they want out of their future. That's kind of you're trying to sell uh, as a country and we call it the american dream the american dream it's all about three you can do whatever you want it's up to you trusting your own abilities and going for it yeah couldn't agree more i have often cited the american dream when i teach the enneagram as an example of type three and how there are many famous threes oprah winfrey's another one or arnold schwarzenegger where they start from nothing and then rise to the highest high. Madonna is another one, where that's a famous American story, is that you can start as the child of poor people or poor immigrants or be an immigrant yourself and rise to the highest heights. And threes often embody that in American culture, and they are celebrated specifically for that. And Oprah has basically built her career, not only embodying that, but then celebrating other people who did that as well. Yeah. And this is something that is common among threes, is not only striving for it yourself, but uplifting others, at least making the attempt to uplift others to aspire, right? You mentioned Oprah. You also referred to Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? A great example of somebody who, in addition to to devoting his life to being successful in a number of different arenas, has devoted his life to helping people become fit and successful and accomplished. And people like Tony Robbins, another good example, right? Uh, um, You know, and it's a certain style that's not for everybody, but 
I think even a Tony Robbins has a very legitimate desire to see other people be the best that they can be. And that's what uh, Reese Witherspoon is trying to do with women, women yes. who write the books, women who act. I mean, it's um, she's trying to do that. It's not only for herself, but she's kind of there's a cause behind it uh, where she's trying to uplift and help them trust themselves and get exposure and all that and, and succeed at, at the end of the day. I think in the Enneagram world, threes get a bad rap. And a big part of it has to do with that, you know, them being associated with the virtue of uh, deceit, or I'm sorry, the vice of deceit in the uh, literature. So people assume that they're liars or can't be trusted. And in my experience, that's simply not true. Most threes, you know, are just as trustworthy as anybody else, um, you know, and there are people of other Enneagram types who are certainly not trustworthy, right? I think that's something that's independent of Enneagram type. But what that is really all about is this idea of aspiration to an identity, right? And often an identity that they haven't quite achieved yet. Okay, there's something they're trying to be, and it can strike people as false at times, right? So uh, that can be a challenge for threes. But I think in particular, Legally Blonde captures the sweetness and the, the graciousness and the generosity that often exists in threes right, in many of the threes that I've worked with. So I, I think that it's a nice corrective to some of the uh, negative stereotypes about threes in the Enneagram world. I, I think the kind of journey where that uh, this movie takes us on, it's from the very stereotypical kind of superficial, just focus on the looks and the image and all of that, trying to kind of pretending to be a law student, not really, it's kind of faking it at the beginning. And right. to to a very sweet, good-hearted, kind of innocent person that it's behind these looks. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. So go ahead, TJ. Tell us about Legally Blonde. Yeah, Legally Blonde. And as always, this is going to be a summary that includes all the spoilers there are to spoil. So if you don't know the movie, <laughs> I'd like 30 to... years to watch the movie. So yeah. <laughs> 20, right. but yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Came out in 2001. So Elle Woods is a college senior in LA, and her degree is in fashion merchandising, and she is the head of her sorority, Delta Nu. 
So she's a fashionista, she's popular, she's pretty, she's blonde, and she looks forward to a special dinner out with her boyfriend, Warner, who she is certain will propose that night. But instead, he dumps her, saying that he's going to Harvard Law in the fall and that he plans to parlay his success as a lawyer into being a senator by the time he's 30, and that he and his blue-blooded family all agree that he will need a much more serious woman to be his wife. So then Elle, after recovering from her heartbreak, uh, gets the idea to enroll in Harvard Law herself so that Warner will take her seriously and want her back. So she applies herself to her application. She studies hard and she gets accepted. So at Harvard, she stands out in her pink frilly wardrobe and her expectation of a frothy social life like she had experienced as an undergrad. And she quickly realizes how difficult law school is. She's humiliated on the first day by her Professor Professor Stromwell, who's a particular hard ass, and Vivian, one of her classmates, who turns out to be Warner's new fiance. She takes refuge in a nail salon where she befriends Paulette, played by the wonderful wonderful Jennifer Coolidge. And she also gets encouragement from Emmett, played by Luke Wilson, who's a Harvard Law alumnus. And she rallies herself and takes her studies more seriously and then begins making some progress. She soon earns a coveted spot as an intern in the firm of one of another professor, Professor Callahan, who is defending Brooke Taylor Wyndham, whose husband had been murdered. Coincidentally, Elle is a fan of Brooke, who runs a fitness empire and is also one of her sorority sisters, although older than her. Elle bonds with Brooke and helps make progress on the case, but Professor Callahan comes on to her and she concludes that she'd only been given her internship because he'd wanted to have sex with her. She decides to quit law school and go back to L.A., and she's commiserating with Paulette at the nail salon when Professor Stromwell, who happens to be at that nail salon, overhears her and encourages her to stick it out and not let a man determine her life or her worth. Brooke fires Callahan as her lawyer, hires Elle as her defense lawyer, with Emmett acting as supervising counsel. Elle, in a perfect example of the... Act three twist that many screenwriters strive to do in which who the person was in the beginning in act three is combined with what they learned in act two to combine a synthesis of who they are in act three combines her legal training with her detailed knowledge of fashion to poke a giant hole in a witness's testimony and elicits a dramatic inadvertent confession on the stand, winning the case instantaneously like happens in court cases all the time in real life. (laughs) Warner asks Elle to be his girlfriend again and she turns him down. And then we jump ahead two years to graduation. Elle is the valedictorian of her class, and she's giving the valedictorian speech. And in the postscript, it's revealed that she's already got a job offer for one of Boston's most prestigious firms. She's now best friends with Vivian, her old rival. She and Emmett are together, and he plans to propose that night. So a happy ending, ticking every single box on the list, including <laughs> finding her value independent of a man's esteem. Yes. Yeah, great. Maria Jose, tell me your reaction to the movie Legally Blonde. Certainly watching it, because I had watched it years ago. I'm a girl, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, Made me see it under a different light. Like I could see what I said before, the sweetness and innocence in her, uh, despite all the superficiality, in my opinion, of the things that she cared about at the beginning. Going, kind of taking a step back, I think that the whole movie and Harvard and law school, it's all about competition as well. I think the better, the, I mean, the best one wins. You have to stand out. It's all about who gets the spots and intern. And I think that even if her character is, is a three, I think the whole movie is about type three. 
or a lot of, a lot of it. I think that her innocence, as I said before, is one of the things that really got my attention when she gets there to Harvard and tells her dog, everyone will love you. You know, she had no idea what she was getting into. And, and I think that it also shows how people react to threes. So there's something about threes who believe too much in themselves, who are too self-confident and that, or stand out too much, that people kind of don't like. And you can see that in the movie as well. Yeah. There's a, so, so that's an interesting point. There can be this hostility toward threes for no reason other than, frankly, jealousy and projection and uh, assumptions, right? Uh, you, you know, the she's good looking. She's obviously has money. You know, she doesn't fit the stereotype of the student there. But, you know, she hasn't done anything to earn anybody's, you know, disdain other than just be who she is and pays the price for that. So that's something that we see very often. There's also something funny, I think, the video that she did to enter law school. I mean, she really knew how to do it, you know? You have to accept that. It was not the typical thing, probably, but... She did a really good job. That worked. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. So, so for anybody who has not seen the movie, she basically made her uh, application video wearing a bikini and, you know, laying in the pool for the most part, right? And so knew what would speak to a bunch of old men. And, so, and they were uh, trying to rationalize why they wanted her right. there. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. Um, so a few things about the movie. So, I, I, again, I had seen the movie in... The theater when it came out uh you know i'm not a girl like Maria jose but i am married to one so we had to go see it um and uh you know and i remember thinking yeah okay you know fine you know movie you know cute and whatnot but had not thought much about it and i don't think i saw any of the sequels and can't imagine going to see the musical though i'm sure it's great uh but again re-watching it thought you know it's very much a formula movie but I really liked the messages there, right? And I really liked the fact that, particularly with the character, the thing I noticed about her was that there was no ill intention toward anyone, right? There was nothing in her that was spiteful. Uh, she was clearly competitive, but, and this is something I see in healthy threes, is they're competitive and they want to win, but they don't care about whether or not the other person loses, Right. And that's an interesting distinction. Right. You can think, well, if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. But that's not part of the calculation for most threes, especially when they're on the more helpful side. It's just I just want to win and I'm indifferent to, you know, how well you do. I'm happy for you if you do well and, you know, sad for you if you don't. But it's all about me and my performance. If you contrast that with a competitiveness of the eight for example, which is very different, right? I want to win and I want you to lose, right? I, 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 want, you know, I, I want to crush you, right? I, I remember talking to a type A client one time who said, I don't just want to win. I want to crush my opponent. I want to <laughs> slaughter them. I want to, I want to win 49 to nothing, right? So, but that's not how a healthy three is, right? It's, yeah, go ahead, Maria. Yeah, and, and I also saw how much of a good friend she was. And and that's my yes. experience with a lot of threes as well. Really, really good friends. When, I don't know, with Vivian, she would have been 
a bitch with her and she tried to help as soon as Vivian asked for help or with her friends in the sorority in their her um with her friends back at home she was always there for them trying to kind of taking care of them and listening to them uh and with Paulette as well she wanted yeah. her to kind of shine she wanted everyone to be the best version of themselves but that kind of right. we know but i think supporting friends being a good friend and caring about other people around her it's something that the character had but it's also my experience with Reese one other observation i'll make about the movie and point 3 and then tj turn it back to you um her relationship with her parents if we contrast this with the other three movies we're going to see we're going to see the parental story of that's much more common that we hear from threes of having to deal with the disappointment or the expectations of the parent. Whereas her parents were actually, uh, there, there was a great line. I wish I, uh, I don't know if I wrote it down here in my notes, but when she told them she wanted to go to law school, they said, honey, what do you want to do that for? That's for people who are ugly, boring, and you know, something else. Right. Uh, but you know, just, you were You, you were first runner up in the, you know, Miss uh, Hawaiian Tropic competition. Why would you want to give that all up right so her parents clearly had very low expectations of her which is not something we often hear from threes and oddly enough she was the healthiest of the three characters of uh, that we see in these four movies right uh, and i think maybe there's something to that right of uh, you know not having that right. pressure to turn some of that innate drive into a more dysfunctional variation of it. TJ, what else about the movie haven't we talked about? Well, just to build on that point is, you know, her parents actively trying to steer her away from law school kind of builds with something else she says at another point, which is that she grew up across the street from Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling, right. who's a very famous American <laughs> television producer who created yeah. Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place and The Love Boat and a number of other things like that. So I strongly get a sense that her character grew up in an environment where the version of Elle that we meet at the beginning of the movie is what she was groomed to be. Yes. And you can see her relationship with her parents as like, that's our daughter. Good for you. You've yes. got a perfect body. You're doing well in your sorority. You are on the arms of a man who will rise and rise and rise, and you will be his beautiful wife. Good. That's, yes. that's right. And what are you doing screwing it all up by wanting to go to law school? That's not what you're good yes. at. That's not what you're meant for. That's not what you do. You come from the environment where the best thing you can possibly be is beautiful and desirable. So yes. keep doing that. Yes. And her initial motivation for going to law school was not a healthy one, right? She didn't, yeah. you know, have this aspiration to be an attorney. She wanted to go to law school because it was the only way she could think of to keep her man, Warner Huntington III, um, and who was looking for someone who was more Jackie and less Marilyn, uh, which I thought was a great line, right? More Jackie Onassis and less Marilyn Monroe. That's a great point, TJ. And then she had this realization over the course of the movie that that's not all there is that one can aspire to more and she did that so go ahead Maria. yeah so to me it was interesting to watch that you were saying that wanting to get uh, warner back was not a good motivation or and she didn't do well at school with that motivation but when right. she was able to help her friend and she could see all the things that she could do 
by being a lawyer, I think she started to do well. You know, so her motivation changed, her goal changed, and that gave her more energy and focus to um, do a good job. The line that her parents said was that law school was for boring, ugly, and serious people, uh, not not people like her. A, a couple of other three-ish things about the movie. First of all, the cameo by um, Raquel Welch, who... You know, clearly, I mean, uh, well, not clearly, but very much one of my childhood crushes, uh, you, you know, and very much a three, if you know anything about uh, Raquel Welch. Let's see. the uh, Her efforts to help Pauline catch the eye of the UPS man, you know, again, it's that aspiration, that's that helping someone. And with the woman that she was defending, played by Ali Larder, who was hot for a short time, um, you know, in the, in the, in the film and uh, TV industry. An interesting thing about her is the reason she wouldn't say what her alibi was is because she was a fitness instructor who was actually getting liposuction at the time of the murder and was, was concerned about what that would do to her reputation and her business if she admitted that I couldn't have murdered my husband. I was getting liposuction. Okay, Again, a very three-ish sort of thing. Yeah. What else? Uh, anything else about this movie that we should touch on? Yeah, a couple other points. One is there's a few sequences where she really goes to work hard. Now, yes. threes aren't the only types that can work hard. It's just that's much more of a, a three thing in terms of like threes just get that. Of like, mm-hmm. if I want something, I'm going to bust my butt to get it. So early in the movie, when she's studying for the LSATs, she's told that she needs to get a score of 175 or or higher. I believe the LSAT only goes up to 180. So there's a montage where she is studying really hard and not going to parties, like quite conspicuously. The whole college life is happening all around her. Then she's the head of her sorority. So she would be right in there, popular, enjoying herself. But no, she's buckling down and she's studying. And then that happens again later when she decides to really take law school seriously. And there's a montage in each case. And in the second case, there's a song called Watch Me Shine. And just the name Mm. of that, Mm. very three-ish. And it's done very much in the style of Britney Spears, who I wouldn't be surprised if she's a big three, too. Mm. And that got Mm. me thinking, the montage happens a lot... it's it's thought of primarily for 80s movies, but generally a montage yeah. would happen when someone's acquiring a new skill. Quite often something physical, because that works really well in movies. The Rocky movies have progressively yes. longer training montages in each movie to the point that I think in Rocky 4 or 5, it's literally 20 minutes long, unbroken. <laughs> but that's a very three-ish kind of thing of like, I want to learn this thing, I'm not so good, and then let's span a bunch of time as we watch this character getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great observation. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. The montage was a big theme of the 80s, which if ever there was a three-ish decade in a three-ish country, it was the 1980s. So um, I'm surprised three. the montage was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She uses deception for good a couple of times, which I thought is really interesting. So as you mentioned, deception is thought of as the as the, the vice or the, the passion of, of type three, which often is, you know, not just i'm going to lie to you because i'm a compulsive liar and yet she very convincingly fakes out paulette's ex when she's helping her in order to help paulette get her dog back she uses a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo that doesn't actually mean anything 
but it works. Right. <laughs> right. And then she also comes across one of her classmates who's listed in the credits as Dorky David, who's <laughs> getting cruelly turned down by two attractive women. Yes. He's sheepishly yes. asking on a date. And she slaps him across the face and invents this drama that they'd had an amazing night together and he had never called her back and suddenly makes him seem that much more desirable to, for these two women. She uses deception for good. And believe it or not, I have a friend who is a three and a lawyer who has exactly done that. Oh, really? Yeah. She's used legal fiction to stop a situation on the street to help a stranger out of a dangerous situation. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, again, very, very three-ish. And it captures that sweetness and tenderness at the core of you know, a relatively healthy three, right? There was the, I was also, I thought about the, the scene where she was invited to the party and told it was a costume party, right? And so she shows up in a bunny outfit, um, you know, kind of a, a take on the Playboy bunny outfit and clearly an embarrassing, humiliating situation. And in most movies, the character would have run out crying and vowed to get revenge or something like that. And she just rolled with it. You know, she made the best of it. She hung in there. She played it like a trooper, you know, she and turned it into the best possible situation. She was very gracious. Yeah, very gracious. All You know, all through the movie, I thought. So um, and without being able to understand why people didn't like her. Yes. Yeah. And and not being able to understand why anybody would be any other way than her kindness and graciousness so good character you know if you have not seen legally blonde i recommend the movie even if you're a guy you know it's a well-done movie and it's a great enneagram character study i think i think it's a, a, a real worthwhile situation and i forget the actor's name who played her ex-husband but i always love when he pops up in a movie he was the janitor in oh shoot the movie in, about the high school kids in the breakfast club the oh, Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah, oh. Breakfast Club. Thank you. Yeah, he was the janitor oh. there. Oh, I, would, right. I, I forget yeah. what that guy's. He's one of those that guys, right? <laughs> oh, it's it's that guy, um, you know, and uh, that that shows up. And I, I always enjoy seeing him in a movie. I think he was the. Uh, uh, anyway, I'm going to stop talking about that guy, whoever he is. But uh, <laughs> well, one more thing to mention, and this is, yeah. I'm quoting Russ Hudson here, is he talked about how uh, central theme to Type Three is finding your vocation, and it's mm. often something you didn't expect. Russ mm. himself did not expect that he would become a teacher of the Enneagram. Elle Woods did not expect she would become a lawyer, even when she enrolled in law school. And along the way, discovered she had a tremendous talent for it. They set it up very cleverly at the beginning of the movie when she displays some intricate, specific fashion knowledge when she's out shopping. That just establishes that she's got an excellent mind. And she's always simply applied it to that, to being beautiful, to being desirable. And she stumbles into something that means a whole lot more to her, which being a lawyer is still pretty prestigious. Like it's not a perfect version of that precept, but still it's not prestigious in the world that she came from. And yet it right. fulfills her completely. Great stuff. Okay, good. So let's move on to our next movie, Election. This is a movie I'm a big fan of. I remember seeing when it was in the movie theater um, in, what year was it? 1999? 99, um, yeah. 99. And I remember at the time thinking uh, Alexander Payne was going to be a big deal as a director, right? Since this is about directors. I remember between that, his next movie was uh, about Schmidt, 
with Jack Nicholson, which was an excellent movie, also based in Omaha. And after that, he did Sideways uh, with Paul Giamatti and uh, Sandra Oh, a great movie. And he did some other movies that were highly regarded but didn't do that well box office-wise. And in fact, none of his movies were big box office hits. I think The Descendants did really well. That had George Clooney in it. Uh, Sideways did really well. And um, uh, About Schmidt did really well. But never quite had the career that I thought he was going to have. TJ, any thoughts on Alexander Payne before we get into election? I absolutely adore him. I think he's one of the funniest directors out there. And something that's consistent in every single one of his movies is he's not afraid to show those unflattering elements of everyday life, even seemingly random ones that don't advance the plot. So the offhanded things people say, just the way they look, the moments of clumsiness, moments of carelessness, just... All those little things that I think The Onion, as a, as a website, did as well, where they would do an article about how somebody's, you know, shared apartment, one room has kind of a Jeff smell. Or, you know, they, they would put it as a headline, soap comes out of unexpected part of dispenser, that kind of thing. Where it's just like, here's this little snapshot of everyday life. And, oh, here it is in a movie. Yeah. I think he must be a really good actor's director as well, because he brings a, he gets a lot of great performances. I think actually the About Schmidt performance by Jack Nicholson was ironically one of Nicholson's better or more interesting performances from my perspective, because it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you can't handle the truth, Jack Nicholson. It was a nuanced sort of character. And for years, I was going around every so often saying, dear and Dugu, uh, whenever I would feel a bit bemused, uh, which is a line from, from About Schmidt. So, all right. So you'll have to watch About Schmidt if you want to get that reference. Okay. So I didn't get right. any of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. We, Maria Jose just tuned out for a little while there. That's why. Maria Jose, do you have any uh, perspective on Al, uh, Alexander Payne and his, his career as a director? I don't. Okay. All right. So we'll move on. Enough said. And upset. Yeah, no, look, you know, he's no Steven Spielberg, right? But a, but a really, really talented director who makes the kind of movies that grown-ups want to watch, I think, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It's currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, you can find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. The movie Election, starring Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon, some great smaller roles as well, but I think two standout, standout performances from the lead actors. Um, Matthew Broderick plays Jim McAllister, a civics teacher at a suburban Omaha, Nebraska high school. One of his students, Tracy Flick, 
played by Reese Witherspoon, is an overachieving senior he resents. Dave Novotny, a fellow teacher and Jim's best friend, lost his job and his wife after Tracy's mother discovered Tracy was having a sexual relationship with him. Uh, while Jim felt Dave needed to face the music, he's also bitter that Tracy emerged unscathed. Kind of an unfortunate plot line, I think. Um, you know, quite frankly, when you look back in retrospect, the whole statutory rape thing never really plays that well, you know, looking back. But, you know, it, it, it was uh, part of the plot. Tracy announces she's running for a for student body president and informs McAllister they will be spending time together. <laughs> Uh, since he oversees student government. This is a bit uh, discomforting to Matthew Broderick's character, and he decides he is going to do what he can to undermine Tracy's uh, bid for class president. And he does this by enticing another character uh, named Paul Meltzer, who's kind of a sweet doofusy, I don't know, kind of nine-ish character, I think, you know, football player who hurt his leg and so he can't be the star football player anymore. And um, so he gets enticed to run against Tracy, which makes Tracy none too happy. We have a character here who's a three, but doesn't have the graciousness of L for sure. I mean, this is a, a more intense, driven, and aggressive type three character that we're seeing in this movie, right? Uh, not somebody you'd really want to turn your back on, okay? Let's see. So um, Tammy Meltzer, Paul's younger sister, is dumped by her girlfriend, Lisa, who becomes Paul's girlfriend and campaign manager. Tammy exacts revenge by running for president on a nihilistic platform that student government is a sham and should be abolished. So here we have a nice kind of four character coming into the, the movie. The three candidates make their campaign speeches to the student body. Tracy gets, you know, polite applause. Uh, Paul, who gives probably the best uh, speech that I've ever seen, you know, <laughs> he's reading from a piece of paper, clearly with no punctuation or, or pacing or anything, and leaves people a bit baffled. And then Tammy gives her speech. Well, probably and, was, which probably was written by his girlfriend and not yeah, by probably. him. <laughs> Right, right. And um, and then Tammy gives her speech where she says the whole thing's a joke and should be done away with. And this brings the uh, teenage crowd to a standing ovation. So uh, they go on. And uh, let's see here. Uh, one evening while working on her election banner at the school, Tracy goes into a fit of rage and destroys the other candidates' campaign posters, discards them in a dumpster, unaware that Tammy sees her doing it. Uh, when McAllister confronts Tracy with his suspicion that she removed the poster, she feigns innocence, says he doesn't know what she's talking about, and even though he doesn't believe her. Now, the sister, Tammy, has decided she wants to get expelled so she can start going to the all-girl Catholic school down the road, and so she takes credit for destroying the posters and then gets expelled from the school, much to her delight and is very happy at uh, Catholic school at the end. Tracy is exonerated. The day before the election, Jim visits Linda Novotny, Dave's wife, in a really, really awkward sequence. I mean, they, they, this is one of the interesting things about Matthew Broderick's character. Just this squirm-inducing awkwardness, and um, I don't know how I would put it, um, incapability 
to live one's life, you know, and just seeming to make all the wrong decisions every step that he makes as we go on. And this is certainly one of them. He has an affair with Dave Novotny's wife, ends up getting caught because she tells uh, his wife he gets kicked out of his house. He goes back to Linda's house, gets stung in the eye by a bee. Uh, He's allergic, so his eye swells up and he sleeps in the car, then shows up at school for the election the next day looking quite a mess. It's only the two people, Tracy and uh, Paul, And Paul does not vote for himself, instead votes for Tracy because it just feels not right to vote for yourself. Of course, Tracy Tracy wins by one vote, much to the chagrin of Jim, the Matthew Broderick character, who then conveniently loses two Tracy votes and announces, uh, contradicting the student count, that Tracy did not win, but Paul did. Okay. However, the um, janitor who Jim had earlier offended by throwing garbage on the floor finds the two votes in the trash can, ruins Jim's career by telling. They all find out. They confront him saying, you know, we know you cheated. He resigns, ends up being a tour guide at the... Uh, where was it? The Museum of Natural History in Washington? Uh, uh, New York City. New York City. Thank you. New York City. Tracy goes on with her life to work for a, um, a senator or something, a politician as an aide. And on a trip to Washington, Jim sees her with the politician. He's living in this tiny little apartment uh, with a new girlfriend. And it's interesting how he reframes his experience. And Jim, this is something Jim does all through, is reframing his situation to make it seem like it's not so bad. And there's a great scene at the end where he takes out his wrath on Tracy by throwing a, uh, a Pepsi cup at the limousine, <laughs> taking her away. And then once he realizes that they saw him do it, starts running down the street. So... <laughs> <laughs> Tracy goes on to great things. Uh, Dave Novotny, the uh, the statutory rapist teacher, uh, ends up working in a hardware store. And Jim goes on to lead a kind of small life, giving tours to students, much like Tracy, uh, as he sees at the end of the movie. All right. So long synopsis of the movie. So Maria Jose, what was three-ish? about election. What wasn't? (laughs) So I think that there are several things, but I have two angles that I would like to point out. One is the kind of ambition versus the lack of of ambition, ambition of Jim, between Jim and Tracy. So Tracy just couldn't understand how he was just not ambitious at all, didn't want anything else for his life. And he couldn't understand why she was so ambitious, you know, and overachiever and all that. So that tension, I think, is present throughout the movie. The other thing that I observed is that although there were probably very nice things about the character, about Tracy, I could see a lot of the derailers of the three present and black sp- uh, blood, uh, blind spots and like like seeking recognition too much or kind of the I'll do it syndrome. She went for after every committee where she could 
especially if she could lead it, but she wanted to be there for every single thing where she could score points towards her end goal, you know, and, and it was just too much. But for her, she just went for it. Kind of these cutting corners things, kind of if the end justifies the means, I think she, it was quite disappointing for me to see that she didn't say that she had kind of destroyed everything at school. Yeah. So in general, I think that we can see all these things, not knowing who is there, you know, it's like, it's just too stiff and too kind of not relatable, not authentic. I think she was authentic, but you, it's just lonely as well. So I think that there were all these things that are the typical things that we see that derail threes in some cases. Not the healthy version of the three that we saw, you know, sort of in, in Elle Woods, but somebody who was much more wounded, right? Um, no father. I forget what happened to the father, if it even mentioned her father, but there was no father in the in the uh, movie. A mother who was exceptionally driven and put exceptionally high standards on L. And in fact, when she lost the election, instead of and, and she's sobbing in her bedroom, the mother comes in and instead of consoling her, says, Well, you know, if you had only tried a little harder and maybe put in some of those things I recommended into your speech, you know, and just (laughs) digging the knife in even deeper. Yeah, maybe there's something you didn't do or something. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so it was so it was her fault. Right. You didn't try hard enough. You didn't work hard enough when nobody worked harder than Tracy Flick. Right. And and, uh, so there there was that piece of it. There was also not kind of that sweetness that we saw but i i didn't perceive her as a particularly particularly malicious character either unless there were people in her way right and then she could be an angry character for sure right so again but even then it was not about the other person losing again like we talked about with you know some eights um but it's just you're a, you're an obstacle to me getting what I want, and therefore I have hostility towards you, right? Uh, some very clear three things. Go ahead, TJ, tell us about election. Tracy Flick is not, as we mentioned, a shining example of a healthy three. And yet, as is typical of threes, she's very high functioning. Even threes that are way down the levels can get a lot of shit done. They're still very proficient and efficient, even though it's now in service of something that's not so great. So this is our first meeting of her in the movie is when, you know, we're seeing the movie through the eyes of a number of the main characters, but primarily through Jim McAllister, Matthew Broderick's teacher character. And when he comes in in the morning, she's already there with a fishbowl full of sticks of juicy fruit and a clipboard. So she's getting signatures, which she needs to be a candidate for student government. And there's no competitors at that point. And she's the first one there. She's perfectly well-dressed. She's bright-eyed. She's bushy-tailed. She's awake. She's ready to go. And when Mr. Mr. M sees her, she says, you know what they say about the early bird? She gets her signatures the first day, and she rushes to see him at his car as he's leaving to get him to approve them so she can start her campaign right away. Even though he points out that she's running unopposed, she, said, she says, Coke is by far the number one soft drink, and they spend more money on advertising than anyone. That's how they stay number one. So, hello there, type three. 
Yes. And and interestingly enough, the soda that he throws at the limousine at the end is Pepsi, right? That's right. Which, you know, he's making a statement there, right? The loser soda. It's, it's, a, it's a Pepsi cup, but it also looks, when it explodes, it looks a lot like a milkshake, which is yeah, even funnier but, to me. It's just this right. huge splat all over the place. <laughs> Uh, another thing that I found shows up a lot with her character is awareness of how she's being perceived. So she's very image conscious. So she arranges to have somebody there to take a photo of her dropping her ballot in the ballot box. She stops. She poses. She makes sure that he's ready. She smiles. She makes it look like it's spontaneous. It's not. You know, when right. uh, she she gets the signal from the vote counters that she's won before it's official and she's leaping around, which is what makes Mr. McAllister horrified and decide to, you know, scuttle two of her votes to make her lose. So when they call the assembly to announce the winner, she's certain that she's won. And you hear her saying to herself, act surprised, be modest, walk slowly to the podium. She's rehearsing her gracious and surprised response to this. Another figure from pop culture that I would guess is a three is Fred Astaire. Mm -hmm. And in a book that I read about him, he had a talk show once upon a time and somebody who knew him and loved him said that he would rehearse the way he was going to pull his hand out of his pocket to make a gesture in the middle of an interview. He just he rehearsed everything so that everything looked perfect. And it did. And he was mm -hmm. the best. Yes. Yeah. It, it's interesting what you said about the uh, McAllister, the, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was her leaping for joy because she surreptitiously found out that she won the election. And that's something we see in that nine issue. I think that McAllister was clearly a nine. Right. I, I remember talking to somebody who said they felt it was a six character. And I, I was it you, TJ? That was me. Oh, yeah. OK. I, I still was thinking, think yeah, that, what by the do you really? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. For me, it's uh, a whole lot of nine stuff going on there. It's all about reframing and, um, you know, all, no matter how miserable his life is, he's putting a good spin on it. And it's that hostility towards showing off that is such a nine-ish uh, characteristic of this. I just hate people who show off. And it's their biggest fear that anybody would think that they're a show-off, right? So they're really hostile toward it. Go ahead, Maria. Say. And it's like things happen happen to them. Yes. Yes, you know? life is happening to them instead of him yeah. doing it. So, yeah, I, I didn't see... I didn't see striving to feel secure. I, I felt that the, the consistency of the, the same drab clothes every year. It's comfort. And, it's yeah, trying to it's, feel, it's, it's just the comfort of the routine yeah. and just yeah. going with the flow. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue that conversation, TJ. But uh, boy, it struck me as a, a real nine-ish character, a good example of a, of a nine. Right? Well, he's also contrasted with the character of Paul, who is basically a cartoon of a nine. Yes. So Paul Metzler it has the gentleness, the easygoingness. He's yes. he's asleep when we when you know, not when we first meet him, but early on, he's in a classroom and he's just asleep at his desk when Mr. M taps him on the shoulder and invites him to run for student government. He yes. can't stand to even think about voting for himself because it just feels kind of wrong. He's even gentle and kind with his bratty younger sister who's running in the election to undermine him directly. Yeah. So like so the two of them seem like very different kinds of people. And, and I would say that's a young, innocent, naive, not hugely wounded by the rigors and ordeal of life type nine versus a nine who has lived and not suffered, but reached disappointment 
that uh, in in themselves and trying to figure out how to cope with that. But yeah. anyway, go ahead, Maria. Say you were going to say something. Yeah, so, so talking about the movie in general and not just Tracy, but I think that Paul, even with considering that he's probably a nine, uh, it's all about purpose and his goal and what is he going to do? What is he going to work towards and trying to find that? So it's still yeah. the theme. It's still present there. A, a nice note for Paul at the end too is it skips to a year later at the end of the movie <laughs> and it's the end of the school year and Paul's about to graduate and his parents own a, or his father owns a big cement company and he's let him throw a huge Mexican themed party in the cement yards and he's having yes. a great time and he has no bitterness at all about not having one. And he, and then he stops and he reflects like, what would have happened if I had one? Maybe I never would have gone to the grand Canyon. Maybe I'd be dead. <laughs> There's no basis for him <laughs> thinking that he might be dead, but he's, but he's putting a positive spin on this. Yes. And it feels genuine. Which is something that we also see in McAllister, right? I mean, at, at, as at, in the beginning of the movie, when it's going through kind of how mundane his life is and how bland his life is, he says something like, so, you know, like I said, things were going pretty good in my life. Well, until that damned election sort of thing, right? And even at the end, when he's talking about his new job and his new living, well, you know, the apartment's not, you know, that big. And it's it's a closet, right? You know, it's it's a tiny little thing. And, you know, and it's not the greatest job. But, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. So there was this And they were looking for prepared professionals or something like that. (laughs) Right. So, you know, so so for me, there was a huge amount of reframing in um, in Jim McCann. Callister, which again strikes me as kind of nine-ish, you know, and none of the complaining that we usually associate with type six characters, right, of pointing out the negativity about things. He was kind of papering over everything that was kind of negative. Uh, so, yeah. anyway. so, so, so there was something in Tracy's speech about uh, using, uh, making our days better, you know, like more efficient like we won't have more time, but we can make our days better. So it's yes, right. all about kind of <laughs> promising a better use of time and resources and and all of that, which she can do well, probably. Yeah, and appeals right. to her. <laughs> all right, great. Uh, go ahead, TJ. Any any final thoughts on election before we move on? Yeah, two things. One is about the loneliness of threes. That's a big yes. theme in this. Yeah, And this is stated yeah. quite blatantly a couple of times. Dave Novotny at one point says to her, sometimes people like you have to pay a price for their greatness, and that price is loneliness. Yes. yes. And, you know, in the year later when she's reflecting on her senior year in which she was student council president and she was, you know, in, on one team or club or group after another and was high achieving just like she had hoped. She said, even with all my myriad accomplishments and bright future, somehow I didn't feel so happy as you'd expect. And they play this up a little bit more in the book. The The movie is based on a novel by Tom Parada. And that's the second point I want to get to in a second. But at the end of the year, Paul's yearbook, there's just no room left to do a signature because he's got so many friends and they have so many memories and everybody's signing so many things. And Tracy, who seems to know everyone and is involved in everything, has almost no signatures and doesn't really seem to have any friends. And doesn't seem really to have derived much joy from all of her accomplishments. So it's, I think um, Gone Girl explores this in way more depth, but a big theme in this movie and in a lot of movies about threes is the emptiness 
of accomplishments if those accomplishments are not done coming from the heart. Yes. Contrasted with Elle Woods, who right. has a ton of friends, right? Because of that kindness, that uh, that generosity of spirit. And I, I'd, I'd say also less kind of psychic wounding. I mean, it's clear that Elle is, I'm sorry, that Tracy is a pretty damaged young woman based on, you know, her, her upbringing and so forth. Uh, but there was a great line towards the end where she says, very few people are destined to be great and they fly solo. So to to your point, the novelist, Tom Parada, who wrote the novel, this was his first published novel, and it's Mm. one of my absolute favorites. If anybody hasn't read this novel, it's a quick read. It's 200 pages. I reread it recently, and it took me two days, and I'm not a particularly fast reader. It's quick. It's entertaining. The movie is very faithful to it, although a few things are changed. It's just like the movie told from the points of views of the different characters, Uh, The book takes place very specifically in 1992 and makes it quite clear that this election is a metaphor for the 1992 American presidential election. Clinton, H.W. and Ross Perot as the wild card that came in and screwed everything up. Yeah, yeah. Quote, unquote. Anyway, I have gone on to read every single book Tom Parada has written, as has my partner, Lindsay. We have discussed them. We love them to pieces. We've reread many of them. I can't say this with certainty, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if Tom Parada himself is a three. He has mm-hmm. the classic rags to riches story in that his parents are both Italian immigrants. He grew up, his father was a postal worker. His mother was a homemaker. He had no advantages. He grew up in suburban New Jersey and then went to Yale to study creative writing, wound up teaching there and at Harvard, and has written and published one successful novel after another. Little Children became a feature film with Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson. The Leftovers became an HBO series. Mrs. Fletcher Mm. became an HBO series. Every single one of his novels is just a bullseye of literary perfection. They're they're perfect. And in fact, the novel of Election cleans up a few things that were changed for the movie. So it's interesting to think why they were changed. But like the reason that that janitor helps Tracy is a little bit different in the book. Mm -hmm. Same with the student who is the head of the vote counting. In the book, that janitor is an ex-cop who is Tracy's landlord. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they live in a suite in the house that he also lives in. And he uses his detective abilities to piece together what happened because he's an ex-cop who's the janitor. And then the head of the student council who is doing the votes had always had a crush on Tracy. So he had this Mm -hmm. motivation to come to her when she was distraught and say, I don't know what happened. I did the counts. You won, but then blah, 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 blah. So there's a bunch of things like that. And then as I was researching them, I was delighted to find that his next novel coming out in June 2022 is called Tracy Flick Can't Win. Oh, So whatever happened to Tracy Flick, we're about to find out. Nice. Nice. Maybe it'll be another Reese Witherspoon movie. Uh, so, so, so thanks for those, that recommendation there. There was, actually, I saw this on Wikipedia. It caught my attention. There was an alternative ending originally filmed, right? And nobody knew about it until somebody found a rough work print of a, of a VHS tape that was in a box at a yard sale and played it and there was an alter, there was a, a originally a different ending which was also in the third draft of the script and it says it's more faithful to the book i'll have to take uh, uh, a point on that but jim stays in omaha and is hired as a used car salesman by one of his former students instead of moving to new york tracy encounters McAllister while looking to buy a car and to settle their the two settle their differences before she has him sign her yearbook so it's much more of a happy ending 
uh, in a sense, right? Uh, a, a reconciliation of sense. Well, perhaps? yes and no. Well, like she isn't okay. actually interested in buying a car. She wants to tell him off and humiliate him. And oh, then she loses okay. her nerve when she gets there. And then what ends up happening is they oh. drive around in one of the cars and go back to school. And he finds himself back on the school grounds for the first time since he was fired. And then she goes in and comes out with her yearbook. And he notices just how much empty space there is on it and goes uh. to sign it. So it's a very similar ending in terms of it's a victory, but not quite the way you would expect. It's the hollow victory. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that ending is on YouTube. Oh, very interesting. I'll have to check that out. You've been listening to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, which is produced and edited by Seth Creekmore and is part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. Don't forget to go online and support the podcast by taking a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. See you next time.